0: Well, we uh, have the privilege now of talking a little bit about the Christmas story ourselves. One of the things I've noticed, though, when you go to talk about stories or memories, sometimes there's a tendency to leave out the hard parts. You know what I mean? Like to gloss over and forget the inconvenient, dark parts of the story. So uh, social media teaches us this, right? Like you go on Facebook and everybody's family looks awesome. Yeah, not so much. Or sometimes the the family scrapbook. So if you look in our family scrapbook, you might see a picture just like this. So there is my son, Caleb, when he's a wee little guy. Uh, He was playing soccer on a soccer team. And uh, what you won't find in the scrapbook, I think it was shortly after this, he was on defense and a little girl came down and scored on their goal. And he punched her in the gut. (laughs) Wish that were hypothetical. But, uh, but you won't find that in our family scrapbook. See, we tend to edit out or forget or gloss the difficult details of the story. Now, as uh, it's Christmas Eve and we'll be looking at the Christmas story, we're going to be talking a little bit about the wise men. Very well-known, well-loved part of the story. Actually, we'll, we're only going to go through the wise men to talk about the clash of two kings. But, but this story is our way to get there. I got to let you know, though, that as we look at this story, there, are, there is, I should say, at least one very dark, difficult, horrific part of it. I mean, parents warning, there, there's a dark part to this story. But let's, let's begin first with the part that we know and love. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, and here's where the story begins for us today. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now if you think of the Christmas story as like a Christmas pageant, you got to have various characters, right? So already in our Christmas pageant, we have the wise men, we have King Herod, and then there's also this talk about this newborn king, of course, that's Jesus, right? What you notice from that is the stage is set, there is one crown, but there are two kings. This is going to be the clash of two kings coming at us. Now, Speaking of kings, let's not gloss over the Wise men too quickly. You know, sometimes they get referred to as kings themselves, right? You heard this, we three kings of orient are? Right? so let's talk about the wise men for just a second. It says that they came from the east. Now, we're not exactly sure where that is. Scholars say maybe Iran, maybe Saudi Arabia, maybe the Iraq. The Iraq, Miss South Carolina? No, no one? Okay, uh, So, uh, but, but from somewhere in that region, we're not really sure, but here's what we know from that, they weren't Jews. Did you catch that? So right out of the gates in Jesus' story, God is hinting that his message is for the entire globe, all the people, not just for the Jews. Okay, so they have to travel to get there. Now, who are these wise men? Let me tell you a little bit about the role of magi and what that entailed. It was kind of a hodgepodge of different things. They would be priests of their home religion, scientists, astronomers, astrologers, dream interpreters, philosophers, advisors, all rolled into one, wise men, wise men. As well, they would hold very high government position. They were, as advisors, they were very powerful. They were very wealthy. That is what gets them called kings. Kings powerful, wealthy government. There it is, they're kings. Now, uh, evidently, God had placed some sign, some star in the sky to tip them off that a baby had been born. But wait a minute, it's gotta be more than that, right? Because the wise men wouldn't pack up. This is a long journey. It would cost them a lot of money, right? So they wouldn't pack up and travel just because a baby's babies are born all the time. It's not a big deal. The point is that a king has been born. There's a newly born king, and that is why they are going to travel. They go to pay their respect to the king. All right. So they, they take off and they get to Jerusalem. When they get there, they start asking, where is this newborn king? And all Jerusalem hears about. It, in fact, Herod hears about it, and that is going to be a problem. Because we have two kings that are now going to clash. Let's look at the story as it continues. Pick it up in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, and land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Somebody's lying right there. That is not what Herod is all about. So that you can understand a little bit more about Herod, let me tell you a little bit of his backstory. The way Herod became king was not normal. When Rome conquered Judea, they made Herod king. Rome would do this time to time where if there was a governor or a leader in that area that was doing an okay job, Rome then wouldn't have to send anyone. They'd just say, okay, you're king in the area now. Now you're a client king, you're a vassal king, you submit to Rome. But there's another problem with Herod. See, to be king of the Jews, you had to be descended from the line of King David. Herod is not. He's an illegitimate king of the Jews. So he gets the title Herod the Great, could I just tell you that Herod the Great is not great. Not at all. Uh, th- there were some good things, like he w- did some amazing construction projects. He kept the peace in that area, so he was politically successful and kept Rome happy. However, his home life was a mess. Okay? His marriage jizz. He had 10 wives. One's enough for me. Right? Like marriage is tough, right? So he's got 10 wives. Dude, that's on you. You know what 10 wives brings? 10 mothers-in-law. Think about that for a second, okay? So uh, eventually Herod killed off his favorite of his 10 wives and her mother. You still got nine mothers-in-law, bud. Okay? So he's got that. Now these 10 wives, they gave him lots of sons, which means all those sons are going to be vying to be heir to this crown right here. So by by vine, there was a lot of conflict. By conflict, I mean they were poisoning each other. Herod then got upset on several occasions. He was known to murder three of his own sons. Could you imagine killing three of your own sons? It was said by Caesar Augustus, famously he said this, that it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son. Because see, Jews, they eat kosher. They don't eat pork. If you're Herod's pig, you're, you're safe. But if you're a son, you might get slaughtered. See what kind of guy this, this king was? He was very harsh. He killed off some of his cousins, some of his uncles. At one point, he invited the high priest down from Jerusalem to his summer palace to play water polo. It got rough. He drowned the high priest. This is the kind of king that Herod was. When he was about to die, he was on his deathbed And he knew that when he died, all Jerusalem, all Judea would rejoice and celebrate. And he didn't want that. So what he did is he had his sister imprison all the Jewish leaders in the stadium. She did that, and then she went back and said, okay, why did we do that? What are we going to do? And he said, when I die, I want you to murder all them. Here's his words. He said, well, I know that when I die, the Jews are going to rejoice, so I want to give them something to cry about. See what kind of king Herod is? Not a good king. Well, he connived and he contrived to get this, this title, King of the Jews, and he was able to lock it down. But the problem is, he knows he's an illegitimate king. And then the magi, the wise men, show up in Jerusalem and they go, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? Notice, not who will become King of the Jews, not heir to who is born King of the Jews. We've got two kings in conflict right away. So what Herod wants to do, does he want to worship Jesus? Nope. He wants to protect his crown. He wants to protect his little kingdom. So let's continue the story and see how that plays out. Verse nine, it says this, after listening to the king, the wise men went on their way. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So what I'm going to do today is ruin your nativity set one verse at a time. So uh, notice, if you have a nativity set where you've got the three wise men there with their gifts and baby Jesus in the manger, didn't happen that way. This happened when the wise men showed up to, to Jesus. He was about a year and a half old to two years old. He's not baby Jesus, he's toddler Jesus. So he's not laying in a manger, he's, that boy's up walking around. I mean, parents, you know how you keep coaching your child, trying to get them to walk, and then they walk and you regret it, right? Because now they're into everything. So Jesus is up walking around by the time the wise men get there. That's one problem. Another problem is this, how many wise men were there? Where does it say that in the text? It, it never tells us how many there are. What it tells us is they gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There are three categories of gifts. And we don't know how many. There could have been two wise men. There could have been 200. Anybody have a nativity set with 200 wise men? No? Nobody has that one, do we? No. We don't know how many wise men there were. Speaking of ruining nativity sets... Uh, our family, we have a Playmobil nativity set. We used it with our kids so they could play with it, and we would teach them the story from a young age. And sometimes it got ruined like this. <laughs> I never read the part where the robot showed up and grabbed an angel and a sheep, but evidently that happened. Our set does have three wise men and a camel, and they're not pictured in it. What is pictured, if you look closely, our set does have a fire, a pot, and two cats in the pot. So that's just how our set rolls. Sorry about that, but those go together. All right, so we have covered some of the characters already. We've talked about the Magi, and we have talked about Herod, but we haven't talked much yet about the newborn king, Jesus himself. We learn a little bit about him by the gifts that the the wise men brought to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all right? See, there's gold and frankincense. But wait, there's myrrh. I won't do that again. Sorry. Okay, Now of that. So there, there's gold. Gold is the gift for a king, all right? So gold is the appropriate gift to give to a king. And by the way, Jesus is descended from the line of David. He's a legitimate king, but he's not a normal king because they also brought him the gift of frankincense. Now, frankincense is the gift for a god, this is what they would burn in worship to a god, a deity. And so what they're acknowledging is that God, this king is God in the flesh. God is in the manger. God is on earth. And so this king is the king of kings, the lord of lords. This is no ordinary king. And what did he come to do? Well, myrrh gives us a little bit of a hint. Myrrh, what myrrh is, is a burial spice a very odd gift to give at a baby shower. Imagine showing up to a baby shower and, hey, I was going to get you diapers, but instead I got you formaldehyde because someday your baby's going to die and you'll want to embalm him. That's a weird gift right there. And what's going on in that moment is they acknowledge that this guy is a king, he's God, and he came to die for us. This is where the cradle looks forward to the cross. Jesus came to die. And so what we have is a different kind of king and a very different kind of kingdom. In fact, he would wear a very different kind of crown. His crown would look a little bit more like this one. And it's actually kind of hard to hold because it's real. And I can only imagine having this pounded into my skull with a staff. But this is the crown of my king. A very different kind of king. You understand, he, came, he was born in Bethlehem, which is this backwater little insignificant town. Nobody even knew about it, you know? And he was born in a stable. He was conceived by an unwed teenage mother. He was born not to a priest's family, not to a royal family, but to a carpenter's family. This is my Jesus. Jesus. He was a very different kind of king. He, he, when he would walk and talk and, and minister, he welcomed the hurting and the broken and the downcast and the marginalized, and the outcast. Those were his people. This is a different kind of king with a different kind of kingdom. He's humble, he's loving, he's sacrificial, he's the king of king, the Lord of lords, and he deserves to be worshiped. And he came to die for us. He came to die in our place. And so what we have is a clash of two kings and two kingdoms in the story of Herod and Jesus. Now, how will Herod respond to this? Let's look at these verses here. Picking it up in verse 13. It says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Not to worship, to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked, by the wise men became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. I told you there's a dark part to the story. I told you there are some details that we'd like to forget about and edit out. And these are often forgotten. Listen, you know how uh, we tend to send out like Christmas cards, Christmas pictures, stuff like that. And the typical thing is you got a family picture and it says Merry Christmas. And if you're a good Christian, you quote a verse on there, right? Strangely, nobody quotes this verse. Could you imagine? There's our our family photo, right? Then Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the wife. Nobody does this. And and the picture on the right is a picture of this event. It's the tamest one that I could find. It's called the Slaughter of the Innocents or the the Massacre of the Innocents. And it is the dark part of the Christmas story that often gets edited out. Based on demographics, uh, it might not have been a ton. It might have only been around 20 boys that were murdered. But if you're one of those mothers... This is a tragedy. This is horrific. This is terrible, terrible news. And we tend to leave this part out of the story. We tend to not talk about this part. Here's a question. Why did God leave it in? And I think the reason why is because he's highlighting the difference between these two kings. Look at this list, if you will. Herod is a poser king. Jesus is the real king. Herod is arrogant. Jesus is humble. Herod has himself as God. Jesus has God as God, conveniently himself. Herod is loving himself. Jesus is loving others. Herod is serving himself. Jesus is serving others. Herod is taking. Jesus is giving. Herod is grasping life, which leads only to death for himself and for many others. Jesus is giving up his life and death, which leads to life for both himself and many others. Herod has closed hands, clutching what he wants to hold on to. Jesus has opened hands as he serves God. Herod is defending his kingdom, and Jesus is serving God's kingdom. These are two very, very different kings, two very different kingdoms, and here's my question. Which one are you more like? See, unfortunately, if we're honest, folks, we have a lot of Herod in us. We we don't like to admit it, but we do. Imagine we're doing the Christmas pageant and everybody's getting their roles and somebody gets Mary and somebody gets Joseph. You get Herod. Instantly, the the little kid's like, I don't want to be Herod, right? I get it, but you are. That role fits you really well. Really, really well. He's a poser king. And, and, and we are poser kings. When we talk about the clash of two kings, we're not just talking about Herod and Jesus. We're talking about us and Jesus. It's a clash of two kings. You see, God has this big, huge story of all human history, and it spans millennia, and he's got a mission, and he's on the move, and he's up to something, and he's doing so he's got this beautiful, glorious kingdom, and He invites us to be a part of it. And you know what we do? We get threatened by the newborn king. We think that's going to mess up my little kingdom. And I got I to kind of keep him. I got to stiff arm him and keep him in check because he might mess up my life. And so what we do is we pretend to worship him. Remember, Herod pretended to worship him. And so what we do is a little Christmas, a little Easter, maybe a few in between, maybe every Sunday, I don't know. But in any case, we are ultimately choosing my kingdom over his kingdom. And I am not submitting my life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're illegitimate kings. See, Herod was an illegitimate king. Christ was legitimate. And both Christ and Herod knew it. Here's the thing. You're an illegitimate king. Christ is the legitimate king. And when you sit on the throne of your life, and I do the same, when we sit on the throne of our lives and we wear that little tin crown, Jesus knows you're illegit and so do you. We've got to give up that practice. Practice. And so this Christmas, what I'm asking you to consider doing, would you be a little bit more like the wise men? Remember, they were at times called three kings. They were kings. And, and, and a new king came on the scene. And how did they, were they threatened? No. No. They actually worked hard. They studied for him. They found him. They served him. They worshiped him. They actually traveled. It was a huge journey. It was hard. It was expensive. And then they gave up expensive gifts. This new king cost them, interrupted their lives. And they were totally okay with it because we served that king. He's the king of kings. Contrast that, if you will, with Herod. Herod wanted to clutch and grasp and hold on to his little fiefdom, his little kingdom, and he wanted to keep Jesus at bay. Doesn't that sound a little bit like us at times? What I want you to do this Christmas is I want you to repent. I want you to turn around and be a wise man and let Christ be king. Let him take up his rightful place in this world, in your life that you wouldn't sit on that throne anymore, you wouldn't wear this little tin crown anymore, that you would submit to the king of kings and let him rule in your life. His goals, his mission, his vision, his kingdom, he's king We're not. We gotta give up our kingdoms. If you do that, you will worship rightly this Christmas. And it will roll into your life. It'll impact your life. It'll change your 2020. So you want to be asking yourself, in 2020, will I be more like Herod or will I be more like the wise men? What I want to do is finish just with this quote from Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous German pastor who stood against the Nazis and went to concentration camp and was ultimately killed. Here's what's said. He said, No powerful person dares approach the manger. And this even includes King Herod. For this is where thrones shake, the mighty fall, the prominent perish, because God is with the lowly. Who among us will celebrate Christmas correctly? Whoever finally lays down all power, all honor, all reputation, all vanity, all arrogance, all individualism beside the manger. Whoever remains lowly and lets God alone be high. Whoever looks at the child in the manger and sees the glory of God precisely in his lowliness. I am hoping and praying that this Christmas finds you worshiping the true king. And all of 2020 and the rest of your life. Could you bow your heads and let me pray for that? Father, we love you. and We want to bow in our hearts before you right now as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who sent Jesus, who is the rightful king, not only of this world, but of my life too. And if we're honest before you, Lord, we fight you. We're threatened by you. We want to protect our little kingdoms against you as if you're not coming to die for us and serve us and give to us. Lord, help us repent. Help us throw down our crowns at your feet and worship the one true king and let us do that right now. And I pray that in Christ's name.